Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, Passion. So turning your Bibles to John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, The Love of Jesus. I'm reading our text, John 13, 1 to 11. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During the supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he came from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, Not all of you are clean. I remember a number of years ago, I was living in L.A., and I was invited by a friend to come to his office in the downtown district to join him for lunch. Even though by that time I had lived in L.A. for a number of years, I had still not been to the downtown business core. So I remember parking my car in an underground and then walking the several blocks to the office tower where my friend worked. And it was there on the streets that I had witnessed something that up till then I had yet not seen before. I saw street people begging for money. And there were some magazine vendors who had set up temporary magazine stands to be set up and taken down every day. And walking right beside the poverty on the same street were the very successful and wealthy business people. You know, they wore expensive clothes, and I could smell the perfume and the cologne as they walked by. And I, I was stunned by the contrast. There on the sidewalk was an elderly black man. His clothes looked worn, and his shoulders were drooped, and he had set up a shoe shine business. And there he was, kneeling down and polishing the expensive shoes of a very young and upcoming white man. And the scene fascinated me. And And I thought about it, and I began to imagine myself in that scene. I imagined that I was the young businessman, and the the old man was kneeling before me and shining my shoes. I wanted them done just right, for I have an important business appointment, and in my imagination, I told the man just that. And then as the man finished and my shoes were wonderfully clean and shiny, I, I reached out my hand to pay him, even to give him a tip. And then, as I looked into his face, I realized I had been deceived, taking my cash and saying, thank you, sir. Jesus himself. You know, if what I had imagined had come to pass, I wonder how I would have reacted. Ashamed, I think. I should have polished your shoes. I've entitled my message, The Love of Jesus, and I know that does sound a little bit vanilla, but during Easter season, it's important to get a sense of key features about the passion of our Lord. And one of those things is his loving heart, a heart that served his disciples. What is it that inspired Jesus to do what he did? Why would he wash his disciples' feet? After all, why would he go to the cross? And why would he endure mockery and crucifixion? What was in his heart? Or to put it another way, what actually motivated Jesus? Look again at the beginning of verse 1. 
Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. You know, verse 1 tells us exactly when the foot washing happened. It happened on the night Jesus was to share the Last Supper with the disciples. In other words, as the group gathered in the upper room for the declaration that a a new covenant was now enacted, in which Jesus was to announce that the Passover bread was his body and that the Passover cup was his blood and, and that he was the Passover lamb, on that sacred night, as the disciples gathered, Jesus knew that his hour had come. His heart was to fulfill his mission, to do what the Father had called him to do, to fulfill God's purpose in creation. But as Jesus' mind was no doubt thinking ahead to his cross, John tells us something else that was in his mind. He was thinking about those 12 men who were gathered in a room with him. And so in the latter part of verse 1, he says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now that word end is a word that can also translate it as goal or even completion or climax. What John wants to tell us here is that what Jesus did on that night demonstrated how deeply he loved his own. This was the climax of his love for them. In the past, Christians have called communion a love feast. You can't tell the story of Easter without also at the same time telling the story of just how much Jesus loved the Twelve and just how much he loves all of his followers. This is also the the story of his passion. And later on in John 15, verse 13, Jesus would say, Greater love has no one than this, than that someone lays down his life for his friends. And I think of Easter in exactly that way. I simply haven't ever, in any other relationship, even in my own marriage or among my closest friends, ever experienced that kind of loving. And so if you ask, why is your King Jesus also a servant? I would respond, because that was his purpose, but more so because of his deep, rich, satisfying, intense, sacrificial, caring, nurturing love for me. That's why he's the servant king. Well then, If that's so, we must understand the deep love of Jesus for those who are his own. How does Jesus love them to the end? Here John describes what happened as they came to the meal at Passover. Just so that we understand the impact of this event, let me explain. You know, in homes all over Israel, foot washing was a common practice. Because people walked on sandals, because roads were often dusty and muddy, and because walking was the normal means of getting around, you'd show up at someone's house for supper and you'd sit on a floor, on a thin mat, at a low table, and you'd lean on your arm and you'd put your feet and they would radiate outward from the table. So the dirt of your feet would be visible to all. And it was important then to come in and wash your feet. And in better homes, the guests would not wash their own feet, but, but a servant would be called in to do it. But the task of washing someone's feet was considered so degrading that according to Jewish sources, even the lowest Jewish servant was exempt from doing that. It was a job for Gentile slaves. And so the disciples all arrived at the home, all with feet that were dirty. And no one was going to do what only you would expect a Gentile dog to do. And Jesus begins to wash their feet not just wash their feet. Look at verse 2 and 3. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from the Father and was going back to God, rose from supper. It's the picture. And in this picture, listen to D.A. Carson. He says, with such power and status at his disposal, 
We might have expected him to defeat the devil in an unstoppable blast of divine wrath. Instead, he washes his disciples' feet, including the feet of his betrayer. And Carson's right. Taking the role of a Gentile dog, Jesus strips down to his waist and kneels before Judas and takes off his sandals and in great humility washes even Judas' filthy feet. Many of you are aware of a document entitled The Gospel of Judas. It's been discovered some years ago. And as many of you are aware, this document alleges that Judas didn't betray Jesus at all, but that Jesus and Judas had a private arrangement going on in which Jesus commanded Judas to hand him over to the authorities. And according you know, to this document, the reason for that was because Jesus believed in a philosophy called Gnosticism, which meant that Jesus believed that physical human flesh was evil. Pure spiritual reality is good. And so Jesus wanted to be killed by the Romans to get rid of his evil human body and enter into the realm of pure spirit. So he made a deal with Judas as to how to get that accomplished. What do we make of such a document? You know, please understand, this document wasn't written by Judas. That's the first place to start. By the time the Gospel of Judas was written, Judas had already been dead for about 145 years. So, you know, this isn't any eyewitness account. No one who wrote the Gospel of Judas was actually there at that supper. And furthermore, the book is not historical at all. It attempts to recreate the life of Jesus in the light of a philosophy that had become popular then. It was a philosophy called Gnosticism. That philosophy believed that the body was evil, the spirit was good. See, that same Gnostic community also taught that Cain, who killed Abel in the book of Genesis, was a hero. They also taught that Esau was the hero. They taught that the sons of Korah, who rebelled against Moses, those were also heroes that the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah were heroes. So does it surprise you that some people think that Judas was a hero? He certainly was to the religious establishment in Jerusalem. They were willing to pay a great amount for a person who would be that kind of a hero and would betray the Lord of glory. And there was Jesus washing his feet. Who could have known where the world would find itself today? Well, we know nothing is beyond God, beginning to end. We find ourselves in challenging days, unprecedented for most. We're experiencing uncertainty, more questions, I suppose, than answers. But take courage, people of God. He is faithful. In response to our global circumstances, the next five weeks, beginning March 22nd, Dr. Neufeld will be releasing a special video series each Sunday morning. This series has been designed to provide weekly Bible teaching, particularly for those who may not be able to currently worship with their church family. In this series, Dr. Neufeld will provide unique messages of hope found in Christ. Join us this Sunday morning at backtothebible.ca as we search God's Word for today. And if you miss a message, no worries. Prior messages will be available online or on our Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel. For more information, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. There's a great Christian leader who lived during the time when the Gospel of Judas was first published, and his name was Arrhenius. He had something to say about that and the Gnostic community that had praised Judas. Arrhenius wrote, They declare that Judas the traitor was thoroughly acquainted with these things, Gnosticism, 
and that he alone, knowing the truth as no others did, accomplished the mystery of the betrayal. By him, all things, both earthly and heavenly, were thus thrown into confusion. They produce a fictional history of this kind, which they style the Gospel of Judas. So, as you can see, this thing, that is the Gospel of Judas, was very well known among second century Christians, and they roundly refuted this document when it came out. So, let me return to John 13, verse 2. Here we have the Lord of eternity stooping down and and washing Judas' feet. And in fact, if I might say so, he not only washes Judas' feet, but even today, those who betray him now, Jesus still blesses them. Jesus still is washing the feet of his enemies. He provides them with food and with rain and sunshine and with the daily necessities of life. It's called love. And that, my friends, is the picture you have to take from this story. It is the story of Jesus who prays for the soldiers who would drive nails into his hands and feet and prays for those who hurls insults at him and who nail him to the cross and says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. This is the love of the servant king. It is the love in humble service. It is love even in humiliating, degrading service. But let's examine the love of Jesus even further. In it, we'll not only see the love of humble service, but the love of giving. See, I want you to imagine that this afternoon, you're having Queen Elizabeth over for lunch at your house. Your kids are there, your parents, your closest friends. This is going to be great. Everyone brings a camera. Everyone wants a picture of themselves with her, and everyone wants to talk to her. After supper, no one wants to do the dishes, and the queen goes over to the table, begins to clean up, fills the sink with water, and begins to wash. And you're horrified. Everyone feels ashamed. If you can't imagine that, you can imagine Peter's reaction. Look at verses 6 to 8. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Peter's deeply embarrassed. Remember, he's the one who who first confessed to Jesus that he knew who he was. He was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter was in the presence of God incarnate. And now this. If only he had thought about washing everyone's feet before Jesus began, but no, no, that's too late now. Here's Jesus, wash basin and towel, ready to clean Peter's feet. I want you to notice the latter part of verse 8. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Now that word there, the word share, it's a very important word. It's the same word that's used in the Old Testament of inheritance. It's a word used in Matthew to speak of the great end-time inheritance that we will yet receive. We might translate, therefore, this verse saying, if I do not wash you, you have no inheritance with me. Or to put it positively, unless I wash your feet, you will not share in the great end-time inheritance that I have reserved for all my followers. See, here we might think of at least two promises that were made by Jesus, Matthew 19, 28 to 29. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, In the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother, children or lands for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. You know, there's so much that we could look at in that passage, but let's just say this. The share of the inheritance that Jesus has in mind must include that. And he's telling Peter, 
It's necessary that you allow me to wash your feet. That is, unless you allow me to serve you in this way, unless you allow me to show you the full extent of my love right now, you have no part of me. Now, here we have love expressed in humble service, love in giving of himself, but also in the love of forgiveness. Neither Peter nor the other disciples really understood that something far richer than humility was going on there that night. Peter doesn't seem to understand that something much greater than Jesus' humility and washing his feet was going on. Look again at verse 9. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. You see, Peter still doesn't get beyond the idea that Jesus is commanding him to be humble and allow him to serve him. He's not yet fully heard the words, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Unless I, the perfect lamb of God, makes you clean and washes you from all that defiles you, you have no part of me. My foot washing is so much more than an act of humility. It's a symbol of how I am making you fit to sit and eat with me in the kingdom of heaven. But Peter, with with a kind of blunder for which he's famous, says, you know, then, then wash all of me. And then Jesus explains, verse 10, Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. You see, suddenly here, Jesus begins to express that he is speaking in images. Which images? Well, it was D.A. Carson who said, little did Peter know that the basis of the cleansing foreshadowed by the washing of his feet lay ahead in the hideous humiliation of the barbarous cross. But having missed that part of it, He missed the rest as well. The initial cleansing of Christ provided in the cross was going to be once for all time. See, once we've been to the cross, it's like we have been bathed. We're washed from all that's impure. We're presented whole before God. That never is to be repeated. We don't get saved over and over again. No, the bath is the work of the cross. You know, in a sense, this thought is repeated for us later in Hebrews 10, verse 10, where it says, And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That is, we have been purified by the once for all offering of Jesus. That's why he's only sacrificed once. That's why we're only truly saved once. It's never right to say I got saved and then I got saved again. That's not true. It might be right to say, I was deceived and I thought I was saved, but now by the mercy of God, I'm truly saved. Now, that can be true. But, and this is key, Christ's salvation is once for all so that being bathed in his eternal sacrifice, it makes us unnecessary for us to ever bathe again. We're eternally clean. And that's the first part of what Jesus is saying. Well then, what does the foot washing symbolize? I think the answer is that those who have experienced the cross still need to have subsequent sins washed away. That is, even after we're saved, our feet still get dirty. We still sin, even while our sins are hid in Christ. It's called daily confession of sin, where over and over for a lifetime, we experience afresh our Lord and Savior saying, yeah, I forgive. That is to say, the fundamental cleansing is complete. But every time we go to Christ and confess our daily sins, it's as if he kneels before us and washes our feet again. It's what a thought. Not just a one-time event, but every evening as, as we bow for prayer and confess our sins, our Lord kneels in love at our feet, washes them. What wondrous love is this? We're still not done. 10b to 11. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. And that's why he said, not all of you are clean. 
See, I, I can't imagine the burden Jesus carried, knowing that all the while he had a traitor in their midst. To the disciples, they thought they were all, all in. But Jesus knew better. Years ago, I had a conversation with a Romanian Christian leader. He was a great evangelist during those very hard years when the communists ruled in Romania and when Christians suffered a great deal. During those years, the communists had spies everywhere, and no Christian church was replete without them. This Christian leader told me that one man whom he prayed with for the salvation of Romania many times, whom he worked with, had planned evangelism campaigns with. This same man had all the while been informing on him to the communists. This Christian leader told me it's one of the most shocking things I've ever endured. The persecution that I had suffered along with the times of imprisonment didn't come close to the devastation of this revelation. I wondered what became of us. And that's the love of Jesus. See, he knew all the time of this betrayal, and yet he also knew that for the time being, Judas would be permitted to remain. He was loved as well, even though his love would end up in his own damnation. This is the love of our Savior. What wondrous love is this, this Easter story. For our Lord and Savior kneels at our feet. He serves us in the work of redemption. And we have been served by the King of Kings. John, thanks for a wonderful message today, a, a message that describes Jesus' love to us. And, and is there anything more important than that? I don't think so. But what if somebody was to come to you, John, and, and I think this is, would be interesting, and say to you, Dr. Neufeld, what, are, what, what is it about Jesus? Why do you love Jesus so much? <laughs> yeah, and I do. <laughs> That's an interesting thing. Um, you know, I guess the biblical answer is, you know, he loved me first, but that's just also my experiential answer, too. I mean, I, I can't help when you ask that question, even think back to my own conversion about, um, you know, it, I walked into a, a pastor's office and I told him everything that I was up to and I thought he would condemn me and he put his arms around me and he told me he loved me and, and I thought later on, I think that's how Jesus feels about me. I've been rebelling against him. I've been, I've been doing everything that is opposed to his will and I know it and yet, his love is still there. And now I've found, after all these years of being in Christ, I've found that his love is undiminished. I've, you know, I, I look at my own mistakes and failures and the sins I've committed against him, and then I look in the face of Jesus, and he never stops loving me. I mean, what do I do? In such, with such love, I must respond. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series in the book of John, Passion, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. As we come to this Easter season, we approach these days in a deeply troubled world. You know, in some ways, the very things that we have feared have come upon us. Governments around the world are struggling to control a global pandemic that, at least at the time of the recording of this greeting, has no antidote but only quarantine. The economies of the world are struggling, and it would seem with all our technologies how quickly our lives have changed. Here's a good word. We will not fear in these days. It may be that within the eternal decree of God, Satan, the enemy of the human race, has been allowed to send us such a pandemic. But God is love. Death has been defeated. 
Christ has satisfied the justice of God. A wide door to eternal life has been offered to all who believe. Who can doubt the goodness of God in these days? May Easter bring you confidence and hope. Happy Easter from all of us here at Back to the Bible Canada.